0: Blog Talk Radio
1: From Studio 111 via Radio Saigon and simulcast across the country via Blog Talk Radio and later on bflow360.com, this is Fanatic Radio, America's premier sports music program. I'm your host, Mike Gardner. Joy with me, always know, be notorious Ben Florence, who will be calling in to the show as we are on separate locations, but it is June 20th, 2014, here in the... Great. U.S. of A. Flo joins us now. How's your summer been? How was your week, Flo? Hello. How was your week, Ben? Welcome to the show.
2: Oh, it, uh, my week has been uh, tremendously tremendous, sir. How about you?
1: It's been good. We've got a, a big show on hand. Uh, We've got Pat Riley on what the face of the Big 3 will look like in the 2014-15 season. Some A-Rod news oh, for the, uh, the New York Yankees. A shout out to Clayton Kershaw's no hitter. Maybe some College World Series news as we get the whole baseball theme going. Uh, we yeah, we'll touch on the we'll finally touch on the Stanley Cup playoffs and what it means going forward. But we begin with our uh, frequent daily World Cup talk here on Fanatic Radio. Yes. Well, right now Switzerland and France are about to kick off the second half with the French leading 3-0. Just one of many surprises that we've seen this week. But, Flo, so far, uh, seven days have gone by since the last Fnatic Radio. What has been your biggest surprise throughout this past week in the World Cup?
2: Uh, I really think the biggest surprise, well, the, new, the, uh, the events earlier of those uh, of, uh, Ticos and, uh, looking like they could be in position to advance Costa Rica of all teams. But I think I know, right? The biggest surprise has been how feeble the defending <laughs> World Cup champion, Spain, how yeah. feeble they have looked. The Netherlands loss was definitely shocking because I thought Netherlands coming into this tournament was, uh, could have been overrated, even though they've been really a mess since the previous World Cup. And then the, I thought Spain would come out hard against Chile. It didn't happen. And now they're done all together. I mean, it's completely shocking how this team, of all the teams I would have thought that would have folded right away, uh, that would have been high contenders. Now, I'm, not even, I'm not surprised that England, quite frankly, is all but done. But for Spain to be done, yes, they're an aging club, but this is still one of the elite teams, or supposedly one of the elite teams in the world. And for them to go out the way they did is, is to me, completely shocking.
1: Well we see it in other sports too. Um in, in the past, you know, the, the Boston Red Sox teams when they had I think when Johnny Damon was still on the team and then they got guys like Coco Chris with the uh, with when when Manny Ramirez was closing out his career. That that Boston team, even with Dice K back in the uh the late two thousands, everyone thought that team was invincible. But then mm-hmm. it's not. And then we see it again in the NBA, which I think is more common with aging players like the Lakers, how they were trying to go for a three-peat with Kobe Bryant, Bynum, and Paul Gasol, and then they got subbed by the Mavericks. Then we also saw it from the Heat this year. So I I think it it obviously is a surprise, but then again, uh, defending champ in any sport, you always have a huge target on your back. Not only are they defending champs, they were two-time European champions and then defending world champions. They already have a target on your back. And then when you have a country who is out for revenge after beating you in the finals, and then the very next team is Chile, who history shows us that South American countries do not like the Spanish, thanks to the, uh, the Spanish Inquisition. You have to think all the factors add up. But, yes, yeah, it's, it's crazy the way they lost, though. It, it's one thing to, to lose, you know, by a goal where they played 90 minutes well. They just just didn't show up. Absolutely. It was, it was you, know, you also mentioned You also mentioned Costa Rica today winning against Italy one zero. This is a team that that I've continually talked about when we do our, our frequent USA soccer updates even before the World Cup begins. And wow. you know, Costa, Costa Rica no stranger to uh to us Americans. I'm surprised right. that this team did so well. But then again, it's almost they're almost like the, um, a mid-major in the NCAA tournament.
2: They uh, did they did
1: fairly well in qualifying, so they they did they're like they're like a they're like sort of like UConn this year. They didn't yeah. win the American Athletic Conference, but you could tell they were a good enough team, and they basically played up to every single team they played, which could, you know, many could argue has Italy and England played down to their opponents which we clearly saw from England this uh yesterday oh, and absolutely. their first game against Italy. So but Costa Rica, I mean they are a team that could ultimately go out and win the group if they win their game against England <laughs> which is is unfathomable because now as Americans USA has to sort of do one better because then yeah. the sort of the same conference. What is your
2: thoughts on the USA game though? Um I think that the U the uh, I think that the, the U.S., I think it was big for them to open against Ghana because there's so many of the skeletons in the closet of having lost to Ghana two straight World Cups. And I think that it was going to be a tough game for them. The U, even though the U.S. ended up winning, they didn't play really a, a great game. And I think the loss of Jose Altador will hurt. Fortunately, it looks like um, – Club Dempsey will be getting maybe getting a uh, a Rip Hamilton mask in the yes.
0: way
2: of he's a broken nose, which is tremendous. That Rip Hamilton says, but I think that you know Ghana really, I I, I like how they responded after because you had the Dempsey goal like 50 seconds of the game, which was watching the game was totally ridiculous and one of the fastest goals ever in a World Cup game. But it seems like the U.S., after that game, they or after that goal, they really lost a lot of their edge and allowed the Ghanaians to get back into the game, control the ball a lot, have a very strong possession, and generally look like much of the better team until late after the equalizer. And then the uh, John Brooks, one of the... Superstubs of, off the bench. One of the first, uh, the, uh, the 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 handful of German imports by uh, Jurgen Klinsmann, a, a guy that perhaps a month, a couple of months ago may not have probably wasn't even position to make the team, gets the time, get the uh, the winning goal on a uh, tremendous. So I think against Portugal. Now I think the U.S. after Portugal was a complete fiasco against Germany. Now that uh, they get Portugal next, I think the U.S. is in prime position to advance, which is comical because I remember when we were watching the group announced that we thought the U.S. were screwed by being put into the group. So good. Right. the U.S. is in good position. I really
1: think so. And we'll, ta- we'll talk more about the U.S.-Portugal game, other matchups next week, including Mexico-Croatia, which could ultimately decide – tree's fate going into the knockout stage, but now it is time for our weekly conversation. He's a former member of the United States Men's National Team, 2005 CONCACAF Gold Cup winner, and a member of the 2002 quarterfinalist U.S. Men's National Team. Tony Sane joins us here on Fanatic Radio. Mr. Sane, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to do this.
0: No,
3: no problem. My pleasure.
1: Uh, first off, I just want to ask, uh, considering the World Cup is going on right now, you played in two thousand and two. What were sort of the uh the emotions for you personally going to uh Japan, South Korea?
3: Um, well, I mean obviously you anytime you get to represent your country it's it's a pretty cool deal and um for a soccer player it's like the highest honor to, to represent your country and to be able to reach that goal. So um emotionally it was it was it was great, uh, a real sense of accomplishment but also a real joy in, in getting to perform on that stage as well because there's a real respect for all the counterparts that made it there and um, you were really playing against the best of the best.
1: Uh, your team especially, 2002, first game was against Portugal, very similar uh, to what the United States this time is going up against in terms of the best, some of the best teams in the world. Going back to that game against Portugal, what were some of the things that your coach Bruce Arena said to you I said to the team, uh, pre-game and in the locker room prior to taking the field.
3: I think it was just like, you know, really believe in ourselves and attack and put, you know, physical, be physical and put our, you know, our stamp on the game. And we weren't going to, you know, uh, play soft or let them come at us. We were going to, you know, they were going to beat us. They were going to have to beat us and we weren't going to, you know, kind of, Bunker down. We we really attack them and put our stamp on the game. And the main thing was is you know the first five, ten, fifteen minutes of the game start off well, and concentrate, not make any mistakes, and and uh, you know, really control the flow of the game.
1: What is it like to play in a World Cup match?
3: Um, it's pretty cool actually. I mean, there's a lot of attention on the game. Um, even walking out, and you hear the little music and the sound that you hear for years. Um, and you're finally there, and you kind of look around, and um, what's going on in the stadium is just part of it, because you, you see highlights of all the bars and TVs all over the world, and, you know, it's, just, it's, it, it's a very positive place as well. I mean, it really brings in the, the essence of playing pro sports, um, playing for your country, and, you know, really that's how soccer brings the world together, and you feel like you're part of it.
1: And overall, do you think that your team sort of jump-started this love of soccer in this country? because many say, you they know, hosting the 94 World Cup, but then after the 98 World Cup, uh, the 2002 team, your team, pretty much had to sort of rewrite the history books in terms of how, how this sport is viewed in America, and yet you guys went all the way to the quarterfinals. Would you say your team sort of, Jump-started the uh, the soccer craze in this nation.
3: Well, I think you know it's been getting better exponentially, and each each year, um, you know, other, we've had a couple of years that, that we've gone backwards a little bit, but um, I think ours was one of the, the the times when you know not only did everyone eat hope, but we went into every game thinking and believing we had a chance to win, um, and that really. Brought a different kind of confidence to the nation, and I think it did. You know, you look at this year's team, and I think a lot of the kids on this year's team were were inspired by that um, and, and believe that that they could be there someday and, and do it. And so, for that, I think we we, we helped jumpstart the nation and um, really bring it to the mainstream.
1: Uh, what are your thoughts on this year's team? Are they any uh, similarities to your
3: 2002 squad? Um. A little bit different. Um, younger team, um, more unpredictable. So, um, you know, it's kind of like, you know what, they could get together and win the group or, you know, they could lose 5-0. Um, it's really hard to know. And I think, you know, Jurgen is probably the best judge of the talent and, and what they're going to do. Um, they, they do have a lot of experience for their youth, um, so they will have a lot more legs behind them. Our team was an was an older, more experienced team um, all the way through the roster. I would say their their team um, their youth and their energy um, will will be their strength. Um, you know, they don't have thirty year olds. You know, in on the team that are on the bench, where you know the majority of our team was was really experienced players and. The young guys that we brought on contributed um, and threw in the mix, and we used their legs. So a little different makeup of the team. Ours had played together a little bit longer, a little more cohesiveness. Theirs is, is I think, the only worry that I have about the back line this time is the amount of games that they've played as a unit. Um, individually, they're fine, but um, understanding each other is the only thing that I would maybe worry about.
1: As a, as a veteran of your squad... It was sort of your role, and guys like Ernie Stewart, Brown McBride, to help the young players back then, Landon Donovan, DeMarcus Beasley, adjust of their first World Cup. How do you think those Beasley players, like Clint Dempsey, Tim Howard, now, have to prepare the uh, the younger guys making their first World Cup debut?
3: Um, you know, like like this team is so much younger, so it's it's. Different than than the, than the other team, but I, I think um, you know the best thing you can do is is to empower them and make them feel part of the team, um, and really get to know them on a personal level because you really fight for your friends and people you believe in. So I think that's the biggest thing the guys with experience will do to the younger generation and just really make them feel like it's their team and not that they're kind of the odd man out or just a young guy here for for eye candy.
1: As a, as a former player, does it make you feel a little annoyed when you hear the American media say that this team doesn't really have a chance to advance out of your group knowing you firsthand experienced the United States beating Portugal and then tying a host nation and advancing to the knockout stage?
3: Well, I think they're just trying to be realistical on the ads. I mean, that's... The data says that you know we're not going to advance out of the group, but um, it really goes down to still preparing yourself and giving you the chance. And I don't think that And people say we don't have a chance. I just think we have to have a good World Cup and, and play our best to, to advance. So um, And, you know, it doesn't help that the coach is trying to get attention away from the team by downplaying their chances as well. Um, but I think that's a smart move on his part because now – you know, all the attention is on him and less has been really on the individual players and how they will perform. I mean, I've heard very little scrutiny about positions or coaches or, I mean, players and positions and our strengths and weaknesses. It's been about the overall team. It's been about the coach. So uh, it, those comments have really actually solidified the team and, and, and brought them together. And anything can happen, but I think in the world of football, people are are more realistic. But you still go in to win it, and it's like the movie Any Given Sunday. Anything can happen, and, you know, I look back at the Confederations Cup, and that was probably when, in American soccer, I felt that we were, we went in every game where everyone thought we truly had a chance to win, no matter who we played. And, And I think, even though we're the underdog in a lot of these games, I think there is still that belief in us right now.
1: He's Tony Sane, former U.S. Men's National Team defender, member of the 2002 World Cup team. Here on Fnatic Radio. Did you guys ever feel like you were the underdogs in 2002?
3: Um, we felt like we were the underdogs, I guess, on the outside. Internally, we 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 had a belief about us that it didn't. We didn't really pay attention to that. We we really went into each game to win, and we really. Had a game plan on how to win the game, so it didn't. We didn't really listen to the press or worry about being favored or not. We went into each game to win.
1: And for you, you personally, the, another similarity from this year's team, two thousand two, is the number of MLS players out, outnumbering the number of European players. You're one of the few players playing with Hertha Berlin and, and in Nuremberg. You uh, a lot of criticism for this year's team was. There is that there's the lack of European experience. Are you a firm believer that the players need to be in Europe playing against the best of the best, or considering you've played also a lot of years in the MLS, that our domestic league is steadily on the rise?
2: I think it's both. Um
3: I think we had a lot of veterans on that team, and that's just the age of the year, youth. But I think even this year, I mean, like, Michael Bradley's an MLS guy. You know, Quentin Dempsey's an MLS guy. So there's also guys that that have European experience on the team that are, that are a big part of it. It's just that, you know, the MLS has done a good job of, of keeping their better players home right now. So I would say all in all, you know, the top U.S. players, a lot of them are here. Um but I do believe that going to Europe um, can expand your game and just give you a little bit different experience. But the MLS is, is growing every day, and it's, it's having a, a, a higher level and standard of, of soccer and, and lifestyle. Um, so it, it is becoming a viable option.
1: What was your favorite moment playing in Germany, considering a lot of the players on this squad are German-Americans?
3: My uh, favorite moment in Germany was probably you know lining up for you know a Champions League game at home against Chelsea you know in front of eighty thousand people and you know hearing that song and uh, you know it's it's a it's a dream come true to play in the Champions League as well.
1: And then towards the end of your career playing in the MLS, your thoughts on what the league will look like? Many are uh, when the league first started they had visions of. Twenty plus teams by 2010, and now that the addition of the new clubs, what do you see the uh, the growth of the MLS to continue to expand, or do you feel like that there's a set number of clubs they're looking for?
3: Well, I think that they're gonna, you know, so I think someday there'll be 30. I think that in the soft spot there's gonna be 24, um, and then we're gonna keep working internally to raise the level and, you know, um, and and get better soccer and. Um, increase, I guess I would say American participation in the league, so I think twenty four is a good short term target um, that'll probably be for the next five to ten years, and then you know our internal goal will be to you know change the the demographic of the players t- so that there's more Americans in the league instead of foreigners um, and and then when we you know when we you know hit those numbers then I think it's time to expand again
0: all right
1: and was it hard to walk away from the game of soccer when you retired?
3: Uh, it really wasn't um, because, you know, I had a long, long career. I was 39. Um, physically, my body started to let me down. And so it wasn't hard not to play one because I knew I could not do those things anymore. Um, you know, the first time I retired, I you know, I had some injuries, but I still felt like physically I could compete. And, and so it was hard because I would watch and I could say, okay, I can do that better than that guy or I can still do that. Um after my last year and the, the injuries, you know, I knew what I could and couldn't do, and so I, you know, I, I mean, I missed the locker room, but I don't. Um, it wasn't hard to walk away because I was no longer able to to do it. Actually,
1: and uh, considering you played club and national team with them, what are your words of advice to Landon Donovan for his for his future going forward?
3: I mean, he's not old. I mean, you know, right now he's still thinking, you know, trying to plan out his legacy, you know. Landon has anywhere from four to eight years left in his career probably, um, and he needs to become a leader. Well, he is a leader, but he needs to figure out, you know, what he wants to do internationally, what makes him happy, and how he can stay healthy and make a mark. And, you know, he's going to leave a legacy as an all-time leading scorer. Um, you know, and can you do it in a different personal way of of helping keep the LA Galaxy brand and you know be really a role model for younger players for years to come as well.
1: And before we get to our uh, the final question, I personally would like to you know what was it like to get the assist on the third goal against Portugal, and when you're on the field after you guys won three two, what were just your initial emotions and
3: reactions like? I mean, we were just tired. For me, I was tired. You know, I went in the game thinking it was going to be a struggle, but, you know, I was expecting to win. I planned to win, and, you know, you had your job. Obviously, the cross, you know, going up 3-0 was a little bit surreal at that moment because it was kind of like, okay, what's going on? Um, and then having to get tired and hold on to it and have them come back and have it, you know, the last 20 minutes, it was really a hard-fought game to, to kind of keep that lead. Um you know it was it was a feeling of joy and um, accomplishment, but um it was a lot, it was a tough last twenty minutes um I'm not gonna lie and they were coming at us, and they had some chances. so uh we held on and um it was just a real sense of accomplishment and it was also a sense of a sense of hope knowing that you know there were some real possibilities out there of of uh what we could do.
1: All right, and your uh, and then last question: Your post-career, uh, your CEO and executive director of a uh, charity. Is there any way you'd like to talk uh, more about that and what you've been sort of giving back?
3: Um, well, I run the Sinai Foundation, and we're you know based in the Twin Cities. We have international programs in Haiti, and we kind of work on two two folds: is education and health and wellness. And um, we're in all the St. Paul public high schools, where we offer academic support, mentoring. Um, and after-school programming. So we have three full-time employees in each of the schools, um, and we're getting great data and and feedback off the relationships we're building. And, you know, it's probably the only school district in the country where soccer is offered all year round um, so I think that's kind of cool that it's kind of mainstream. And in the summer, we, we offer soccer camps and health and wellness opportunities to young individuals free of cost. So uh, it's a way to stay engaged in soccer, give back to the community, and uh, put smiles on people's faces.
1: All right. he's Tony Sané, former U.S. Men's National Team defender, member of the 2002 World Cup team. Thank you once again for joining us here on Fanatic Radio. Thank you. They did it once in 2002. The United States shocked Portugal. Flo, can the U.S. do it again this Sunday?
2: Um, I think they can. I mean, one would hope that they don't overlook a Portugal team that, yes, without Pepe after his uh, idiotic red card in their opener against Germany, and with uh, Cristiano Ronaldo looking not at 100% out of what we expected at a finish. But this is still a, a pretty, a pretty good Portugal team. That if the U.S. goes in there expecting a win, they could end up being very much uh, surprised by this team. And you know, a Ronaldo at like an, like 75 percent is still better than most players in the world. So I think that. But I think that Ghana, the Ghana win is giving them some confidence. But they're going to have to play better than they played against Ghana to win against Portugal. And especially if they want to somehow pull off a sweep and uh, take out Germany, but let's not get ahead of ourselves with that one. So I think the U.S. will win on Sunday, but I think they should be they shouldn't be happy with anything that's at least a draw. I think I don't think you want to lo- go in to lose that game, Then you'd be totally deflated when you play Germany.
1: Right, you they have to they have to go in with with win first attitude. But like you said have to be satisfied with the draw because last time USA advanced was in 2010. Then they got uh, two draws and a win, uh, a historic win against Algeria. Even in 2002, very similar uh, events are sort of unfolding for the United States. They beat Portugal in the first game, so they got three points. Then they tied South Korea, but then they, so that, Gave them a little leeway, especially on goal differential, when they lost to Poland, which was the last game in their group. You uh, has to be, has to be, I would love going in to uh, win first. Without Josie Altidore, uh, does this make the USA stronger or weaker team?
2: Uh, I think definitely a weaker team because Altidore is one of, even though he struggled to score in much of the pre-World Cup uh, friendly uh, exhibitions, uh, before the the final game, I'm drawing a blank against uh, who it
1: was again. Oh, Nigeria.
2: Yes, and uh, a strong Nigerian club at that, although not really. I think definitely a team without Altidore is a weaker team because he gives them that kind of score any team wants to have out of their striker position, and he's certainly a guy that knows how to get to the back of But I think without him, they're going to have to uh, – perhaps play not not as aggressive as a style and I think that focus a little more ball position working getting the midfielders up the field a little more and I think that a team uh, I think they'll definitely miss El Salvador, but I think they can still win with them, if that if that makes
1: sense luckily <laughs> well, for the US um, Portugal is not a, a, a super physical side like Ghana yeah. when in the fact that there'll be guys flying all over the place he broke his nose with some guy high kicked and clipped the bridge of his nose. Portugal is more technically sound, and I think Jurgen Klinsman relishes that because that's what he likes his team to possess and go forward. And I think Jose Altador I'm, I'm sort of the opposite. I think Jose Altador not in against Portugal makes the U.S. a little more of a, a wild card for Portugal because they have pretty much known that Jose Altador is a guy that likes to camp in the middle of the field and be a holding forward. But then when you put a guy like Chris Wondolowski, who's like an energizer bunny, or even an attacking midfielder, or maybe if Michael Bradley decides to show up on Sunday, it really could spearhead a U.S. attack, which, once again, in a key to the game, the U.S. has to score early, much like what they did against Ghana. It really just sort of changes the psyche of a team. We saw it in this France game, because now France is up 4-0 on Switzerland, Francis became yep. the first World Cup team to score back-to-back goals in succeeding minutes, and they're cruising. We'll I talk about the, the next week in World Cup when we come on the other side of the break. Also, Grace Wilson of the American University field hockey team will join us, and we'll give some shout-outs, birthday shout-outs, and talk some Pat Riley, or as Mike Breen said, talk some b-ball on the flip side. <laughs> uh, you're listening to Fanatic Radio on blogtalkradio.com. <laughs> fanatic radio
0: what's wrong with that he fought for his country
1: the reason you wake up on game day and put on your team's cars fanatic radio on
0: block talk radio <laughs> animado o que eu quero é samba este samba que me estou de maracatu esse samba de preto veio samba de preto Log Talk Radio.
2: Back here on Fnatic
1: Radio, America's premier sports music program, my gardener Ben Florence. Joining you live from Studio 111, Tony Sane, former U.S. men's national team defender, a member of the 2002. Quarterfinals, world Cup squad. The team that last beat Portugal, ironically, That's right. joined us in the first half of the show. Grace Wilson, American University field Hockey will join us in just a couple of moments. USA plays Portugal this Sunday, coming off a 2-1 victory over Ghana. Looking at the TV now, France up 5-0 on Switzerland. This is a Swiss team that entered the World Cup 6th in the world. They're getting spanked. France now has a goal differential if it stands of plus eight. Did they beat Honduras 3-0? Other than the French, who has been the most impressive team? Other than Costa Rica, which we talked about earlier. But who seems like a clear-cut favorite to take it all from what you've seen?
2: Um, That's a very good question. In terms of because there's some teams uh, teams that play a couple games thus far. I think that German win against Portugal, yes, Portugal was a mess. They and they ended up playing much of the game a man down. But I think that poor, that German team really showed that they are definitely a team to look out for as one of the favorites to win it all. I think that and they look to be poised for a match with this French club, uh, potentially down the line. But uh, if I believe so, I could be wrong on it. But I think the way that German club thoroughly dominated the Portuguese was, uh, in my opinion, one of the more impressive uh, showings thus far in this tournament.
1: You're jumping ship from your b 360 prediction of Brazil?
2: Um, I, I'm not going to go that far yet because they did play, I mean, sure, the score says 0-0 zero, zero tie with uh, Mexico. But let's be honest. They, how many they got a significant amount of shots on goal, and you had a goaltender for the Mexicans that was playing truly out of his mind. So I think that I don't consider that uh, that draw to be a negative. I think it was the case of a uh, a goaltender going off. And yeah, but, he did. Memo Chela just was stellar. Yeah, but and I I think that. You would have one may still have to question: Are they still the favorite? Because they did look truly great against Croatia, and they had that draw. They should advance, and I, I still will stand with them in the tournament. But I'm definitely a little more skeptical, and perhaps maybe a little, uh, a little worried that I didn't go with the other team. I almost picked to win it all: the uh, Argentinians and our good friend uh, Leo Messi. Mar-
1: that's right. He plays tomorrow, I believe, against an Iran squad that had the first scoreless to draw. So it'll be interesting to watch that game because Iran is a team that is 100% defense, and Argentina tries everything to go through Messi goal, to, to get to the goal. So uh, interesting matchups. And we'll, we'll pepper in some more World Cup matchups as we move forward on the show. But right now, you yeah, uh, have time for another interview. She was an ECAC field hockey all-star a member of the American University field hockey team with the best grade point average in the nation and the 2013 Patriot League champion defender Grace Wilson joins us here on the show. What's up, Grace?
4: What's up? How are you?
1: Good. How are you?
4: Living the life.
1: Really, where are you right now? Where are you guys this weekend?
4: Um... Uh, a couple of us are in Pennsylvania for the senior women's national championship or whatever
1: oh dang how you do you get something you have to get invited for
4: um it's through it's like o d p for soccer basically, so we had a bunch of training sessions uh for the mid atlantic region and then you get selected from that for this so it's been
1: like super busy for you ever since school got out.
4: <laughs> yeah, dog. It's been crazy. But it's been well, good. How was better. your trip? Oh my god, Holland was amazing. It was honestly incredible. It was the best week of my life. Where did you, where you
1: guys, but, um I guess when did you first hear about it or how did it all how did it all come up?
4: Yeah, so Steve, um, my coach uh, played in Holland from 92 to 93 um, with a Dutch team. He, like, equates it to his, like, college experience because um, we obviously don't have many men's field hockey collegiate teams um, in the nation. So he went over there and played. And so I think a dream of his has always been to have um, AU go and see, like, where he played and whatever. And so we found out that the World Cup was going to be held um, in Holland. This year, and so I think he was like immediately on it. He was like, "I want my team um, to go and see that, and just see the best players in the world." He, and Isabella Girl, on our team, a uh, rising junior, um, is from there, so we got to spend time with her family, and it was awesome. But yeah, we found out like right after season ended, um, and it was amazing. We're like the happiest people ever. <laughs>
1: um. How long were you guys there for?
4: Uh, we were there for a week, just under a week. Um,
1: so is that how long the World Cup was?
4: Um, no, the World Cup was a little bit longer. I think it was like 10 days. Um, so we got to see like the last rounds of it, which was amazing. So we saw U.S. women compete twice, um, which was so cool just because there wasn't that many uh, people from the U.S. there, so... We got our, you know, 10 minutes of fame same on the TV, Megatrons, which was pretty exciting. Um, and then we got to see a lot of the men's teams. The U.S. didn't have a men's team um, that made it, but we got to see the Dutch men play and the Aussies, who are the best team in the world, and they are incredible.
1: That was a is really sort interesting, of
4: that, interesting
1: Yeah, is it like living the dream for you guys, considering you're seeing the best of the best in your sport?
4: Yeah, no, it definitely was. And it's so different because, like, the World Cup's going on for soccer right now, obviously. Everyone knows about it, and it's on every sports station, and you can see it at any point in the day, but that's not how it is for field hockey. So it was really cool being up close and personal with it so that we could just see different techniques and things that we really wouldn't have been able to really kind of embodied before, but now we definitely have a lot to bring back for season.
1: Uh, personally, what did you take away from the trip?
4: Um, I think while the field hockey aspect was obviously incredible, I think for me it was just being with the team for such a long period of time and just seeing how everyone reacts to different things and seeing just, like, Isabel's face light up with us being at her house and getting to meet all of her family and see her dog and just, like, experience a foreign country together as a team was really special and something I'll never forget.
1: Did you guys play at all while you were there?
4: Yeah. We actually played two Dutch teams, um... They were, like, the second-tier team, so they're right under the national team girls, the Dutch national team. So um, it was incredible. Like, both of these teams would have easily come into the United States and won the national championship. Um, They were incredible. Their system of hockey is so different um, in Holland, so it was definitely an adjustment for our team um, and exposed a lot of things that we need to work on, but also showed us um, some things we are doing really well. So it was encouraging, but we also have a lot to work on.
1: <laughs> She's Grace Wilson, American University Field Hockey on Fanatic Radio. So um, it must be good that you're going, you're going into your senior year. You had this trip over the summer.
4: Yeah, definitely. It was really cool. I feel bad that the incoming freshmen couldn't come, but I'm very happy that we got to experience it as a senior class before.
1: Is this sort of the uh, team bonding experience that you guys
4: needed? Yeah, definitely. I think it's also just fun to be in different places because like, we're always at AU together. Um, but being in Europe and just experiencing different food together, and we tried these like raw fish that was the most disgusting thing ever. But we like made it into a competition between our two kickball teams. Um, that we have on the team and OtFox obviously wanted my team. Um but just like those little things were really cool and uh experience of a lifetime for sure.
1: What was your favorite moment of the week?
4: Um I think it was we went and saw like the really old windmills. Um that are all throughout Holland, but they're, like, in one centralized location. And we just got to, like, walk and look at them, and it was just so peaceful and just made me really excited to go into the season with these girls and the ten incomings that are coming in. It was just, like, the calm kind of before the storm that's going to be this year for us. So I think that was the coolest part. Uh,
1: Do you feel a lot of expectation and pressure? going into this year, considering you now have to uh, defend the championship?
4: <laughs> um, I wouldn't want it any other way, but no, I don't think it's pressure necessarily. I think it's, we have high expectations for ourselves this year, but those high expectations are based on a lot of growth and a lot of practice, and so we've been putting in the time and making ourselves better and picking each other up, and so I think that it's kind of our time this year, which is super exciting. So I don't think it's pressure necessarily. I think it's just, like, pressure is having to feed your kids. This is a game. It's a sport. It's fun. So I don't really see it as pressure. It's more just it's time.
1: So will you guys be speaking depth on the field after this trip?
4: <laughs> yeah. Um. Basically the only thing I learned how to say... Is nothing. So um, it was a real struggle. The Dutch people um, all thought that a lot of us were Dutch because we're all blondies. Um, so they were trying to communicate to us, and it was just not going well. I would just stand there. with like my eyes wide open. They'd be like, "Oh, you speak English?" I'd be like, "Oh, yeah, because you speak like seven languages." So yeah, but no, it was good. So yeah, we will not be speaking Dutch on the field now.
1: Would you ever want to uh, consider playing in Europe after college?
4: Um, You know, it's something I've been mulling over a little bit. Um, I think it would be really cool to play abroad for a year, um, either in Holland or Spain or Germany. So we'll kind of see where I am after the season, if I'm ready to stop playing and more go for a career. But I think at this point it's definitely something I'm considering.
1: All right. She's Grace Wilson. Defender on the field hockey team entering your senior season in the fall and a chance to defend the Patriot League championship.
4: Oh right. good night.
1: And the American field hockey team getting back from Holland where they saw the World Cup. The World Cup is going on right now. 5-2 is the score. The French leading the Swiss. Swiss managing to get two goals back. Of course, French have let their bench players in, so adding insult to injury. Mm. But here on Snack Radio. <laughs> let's talk some b-balls. So the NBA Finals officially are over. The NBA draft is, I believe, next week.
2: Next Thursday.
1: So we'll be um, talking some reaction for that on the 27th. Speaking of basketball, our two-part series of Hall of Fame head coach Gary Williams will finally uh, make its maiden voyage here from 4 to 5 next week on Fanatic Radio.
0: Oh, uh, uh, yeah, we'll
1: ask hell, him,
2: I forgot about
1: that. Yep, we'll <laughs> ask him what it's like what it's like to go on the Hall of Fame his time at Maryland, and also uniquely to close our two-part series is, ironically, when Maryland makes the jump over to the Big Ten. Fantastic article in uh, this week's Sports Illustrated about that. Got a little tear to my eye to know that The college world, especially football, is completely 100% money-driven. Hence why the NCAA is in court now. But back to basketball, we'll talk about all the legal stuff towards the end of the show. The San Antonio Spurs win, thus defeating the Miami Heat. And immediately, we talked about it a little bit last week on the show, free agency is the common bug caught by many radio hosts and analysts. And so, the Miami Heat general manager, Pat Riley, took to the podium this week, courtesy of WSOC in Miami. Heroes. his thoughts, and basically nine thoughts, just straight-up comments uh, about the destiny of the Big
3: Three. I'm pissed, okay? So go ahead. Get it out there. And we need to retool. We don't need to rebuild. We need to retool. And that's what we're going to do. I've... Uh, I've been a leader and a decision-maker, and that's my level of expertise. And I'll do everything I can to retool the team. You know, I didn't come down here 19 years ago for a quick trip to South Beach and get a suntan. I can guarantee you that. And um, and I don't think they did either. And so I think all of those guys, you know, that have come here have gotten exactly what they wanted.
1: Flo, so are the words of a man determined – to keep his, his his dream alive, or is it just another New Yorker running his mouth knowing that most of these guys are going to test the free agent waters?
2: Well, I think it's, you know, uh, I, I listened to a little bit of our good friend Mike Francesa, and he frequently mm-hmm. has uh, the Sunset Knows Ira Winderman on the show.
0: And
2: he Winderman kind of likened it to, if you've ever seen The Godfather, and you know the scene toward the beginning where his uh, his godson, the uh, the singer Johnny Fontone, who's uh, you know he's like you know all weeping about how he wouldn't get this movie part, and basically uh, Vito Corleone is like, "You're gonna he slaps him like, you're gonna act like a man," and my my t- my atrocious impersonation. I think that's kind of like what uh what happened there, and um. I think that Riley was... Because you could tell in this Heat team toward the end of that first season where they got just, just blown out of Game 5 that they didn't look like they... They looked like they, they didn't look like they were hungry when they got to the Finals, and especially they looked a little desolate at the end, particularly with LeBron James basically doing a one-man... Trying to do a one-man show against the, tre- the tremendous uh, Spurs action. So, I think that what are you trying to do is because uh, uh, ultimately, I highly doubt that LeBron will lead the team. but I think there are definitely ways that the supporting cast has to change. Yes. The supporting cast that it was this year can still get them to the finals next year and, and it, it's, a, it's a very weak Eastern Conference that virtually every team except for the heat may not even have made the playoffs in the Western Conference. I think he was definitely yeah, trying to light a fire and light, trying to light a fire under LeBron James and the rest of the guys. But I think that it's going to be it's going to be interesting because all those guys, Bosch, Wade, and uh, James, can all opt out of the contract, and thus the cat situation is very fluid. I think that you'll see. I I would I think you'll see all those guys back. But in terms of whether uh, the like whether all of them will opt out, like Bosch or Wade, try and hit the open market. I think LeBron will opt out, but I think ultimately, if he's going to try and hit free agency, next summer is the better option. So I think that it was trying to get a little motivation and spark this team that really lacked it down the stretch.
1: Yeah, you mentioned it last week. You said LeBron wasn't going to leave because of the fact that this Eastern Conference is so bad that yeah. – now with rumors that Carmelo Anthony may even go as far west as Houston, the Rockets are very interested in Melo, depending on if he uh-huh. stays in New York. That heat seems to have such a stranglehold. I think if any of the three guys to leave, I wouldn't be surprised if Chris Bosch decided to leave. Yeah. Mainly, mainly saying that being in Dallas, listening to that, he always has had interest of going back to where he grew up. But we'll, we'll wait. We'll wait and see what goes on with the NBA free trade. Uh also speaking of NBA players, uh a belated happy birthday.
0: Oh! Take that with you <laughs> Dirk Novitsky
1: birthday was this past week. So we wanna wish him happy birthday. The great uh call by him when Absolutely. Tyson Chandler dumped it and said, Take that with you. Uh, Fox Sports Southwest said that was the last time they had Dirk on them. The one and only time they'll have Dirk as a guest reporter.
2: I thought they had him on a second time, like this year.
1: Maybe because he was he was hurt for a good part of the uh, the beginning of the season.
2: That guy's the best.
1: Who knows? Well, I wish him a happy birthday though. So, uh, rolling forward, France one five two. Another team that won in convincing fashion to win their championship was the L.A. Kings, defeating the New York Rangers. This was a, was a this was a Kings team that was I think one of the best in the West. They had, well they beat Anaheim, who was one of the best in the West. But yeah. then, are you surprised how easily they took the
2: Stanley Cup? Um. Yeah. Oh. I, 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 yes and no. I think that the Kings were definitely the better team. But I thought that uh, the Rangers would have had more of a chance because uh, I actually had the Kings taking it in seven. It was a close series, even if it went in five games, and I thought that the Rangers behind him could have lasted better. But I think that for the Rangers, how do they like to play? They like to get it, move the puck. They like to be aggressive. They have a lot of speed. I think a physical, a bigger, strong defensive team that can match them in goal I think that L.A. was not a great matchup for I think that the Rangers would have preferred to take on, yes, another high-powered high offensive team, but a team not as strong defensively and not as strong in net in the Chicago Blackhawks. But I think that a, very, a really good L.A. team that knows how to get it done, and I think that the other yeah, Rangers who, you know, could have – they almost didn't even make it to the conference finals when they were down uh, – down 3-1 uh, to Pittsburgh. So, definitely a successful season for them, but I think they just did not have a great matchup in the cup final. and show
1: Were people too hard on
2: Henrik Lundqvist? Well, I mean, I think that, you know, I I don't understand why people really would be. He was tremendous in that series, really, except for, uh, what was it, games? Three, the game where the uh, the Kings had that goal, that first goal with like less than a second in the first period. I believe that was game. Three. And so I think that that game Lundquist, wasn't great, but I think the rest of the series he was he was really good. And I think he was hurt by a defensive unit that wasn't great this series, and a a a, a special team for the Rangers that were really just terrible. They were. They could not get a power play goal if their life depended on it. And for an office of club, they struggled from time to time to put the puck in the net. You can only, even the best goalie can only take so much pressure and can only do so much. And I think you saw that here. Henrik Lundqvist, anyone that hates on him because, and, and tries to blame him for the uh, the Rangers falling into series, I think is a mongo and a mongo and nothing more.
1: Yeah, of course, as Lundqvist puts it uh, in his Advil commercials, the amount of pucks he gets is the uh, the same uh, force and torque as a rhinoceros running at you. So that that guy carried the entire team. I'm surprised at the performance of, of uh, Rick Nash and St. Louis. It's almost like they did nothing in the finals, considering how uh,
2: how star-powered those players are. That's right. And uh, Nash and Jordan in the playoffs only scored like three goals. And that's been like, kind of a criticism of him with the Rangers that he hasn't been the big time goal scorer that he wasn't Columbus and that everyone thought he would be with the Rangers. I mean he still played well but he just was not able to find that including in that game five where in, in one of the overdrive periods he had a wide open net and a a, a stick, a defenseman's stick for Los Angeles, I can't remember, who just barely grazed the puck and got it out of uh out of safety. So Wild stuff. But yeah, they weren't able to uh, really get it done. Also, oh, finally on our, our
1: hockey uh, bit of the show, speaking of goaltenders, your boy Martin Broder says that this upcoming year is his last. Uh, do you, would you buy or sell that he is telling the truth?
2: Um, I think he is telling the truth. Honestly, I would have loved. Uh, I love that guy. He brought me so much joy as a Devils fan. I really wish he had retired this year because I think now for the Devils, it continues to put them in an awkward position. He's such a legend and he's such an all-time great, but his play has declined to where he's really very hit or miss, and the Devils have a younger and better other goalie in Corey Schneider. So it's like they have to continue to play Brodeur, even though it appears to be hurting the team, and you don't want to release them, you don't want to trade him because he is such a legendary player. So I think it just it continues to put the devil in an awkward position but definitely it will be uh, it will be uh, a jerking moment when his final game comes uh, comes because he really the right, his tremendous play in his whole career has been synonymous with Devils success and consistent success since he came up.
0: Oh, you are living la vida loca.
2: Yes, he is. To uh so have you been watching any of the College
1: World Series, or are we just uh, gloss over that? What was that? Have you watched the College World Series, or are we just going to
2: gloss over that? Well, I haven't really watched any of it, so I think it would be a little unfair for me to give my opinion. I mean, I love to give my opinion on topics I'm not informed about all the time, but I just feel it wouldn't be it wouldn't be uh, for for the fans at home and listening to yep, the podcast tonight.
1: That being said, uh, all I know is two Big 12 teams are alive: Texas, TCU, and actually, no, Old Miss won, so so they are still rolling forward. All right, I'm going to name you some uh, games because apparently next Friday is when the the group stage is officially over. On, it's Thursday is the last day. Algeria, Russia, June, uh, th- June 26th is the last day of group play. So then, when Fanatic Radio has the show next week, we'll be breaking down. The knockout stage. So I'm going to name you a few games just, just to see who uh, you think is going to win some intriguing matchups going forward. Germany-Ghana. Uh,
2: I've got to go with Germany. I think uh, Ghana will definitely try to control uh, the ball and play uh, physical and hard defensively, but I think that the German uh, firepower is too much for the Ghanaians to handle, so i like Germany to advance in that bad boy.
1: Yeah, for U.S. fans, Ghana is our friend. If they could even tie Germany, that would make the U.S. that much more confident. Netherlands-Chile, winner of this game, takes the group, and will
2: not have to face Brazil in
1: the knockout stage.
2: Wait, which game is this? I'm sorry, I had a brain fart.
1: Uh, Netherlands-Chile.
2: Uh, I like the Chileans. I think that uh, yes, Netherlands was dominant against Spanish. But I, I think this is a very underrated Chilean club, and I think they have a little bit of advantage. They're used a little more to the climate, but I think they'll take a which would be a very fun game. I forget where that game will be played, but that, I, I like the Chileans to to win barely.
1: That's in South Paulo. I feel like Netherlands is. Yeah, this is a true test. See Netherlands could win the World Cup. If they take over in a South American environment. Mexico, Croatia, another game on that Monday. Winner of that will advance to the knockout round.
2: Uh, give me Mexico. I uh, was relatively high in Mexico. No how comical their attempts to qualify for the World Cup, and then their success in ultimately doing so. I like uh, I like the Mexicans to take out a, a solid Croatian team.
1: It could, be, it could be interesting with um, Croatia, because they're coming off a win. Mexico just coming off a tie. I feel like Mexico, though, plays very conservative and gets a late goal. Italy, Uruguay. I don't know. the, uh, the, the I think Italy has to win to at least advance, because I think if Uruguay wins, they have two wins, and Italy goes home.
2: Um, I think that'll definitely be an interesting match. You know what? I'm going to be soft. I like both teams. I like Uruguay a little more, but I'm going to go with a draw in that line, because who doesn't love a draw to cause even more games?
1: Uh, I think is going to win. Yeah. Having Luis Suarez back completely changes the way this team plays. That, that is Italy very looks strange. very lazy, very lackadaisical um, going forward. And then... I see all those games are pretty much blowouts. Um... The Greece Ivory Coast game final game is on Tuesday, June 24th. Winner of that, I believe, goes through. Or Ivory Coast at least have some breathing room. They cannot afford to uh, to draw.
2: I like uh, Cote d'Ivoire. I like to trade elephant to advance to that one. Yeah, the, uh, I think Yaya yeah, yeah, Toure and the aging but still tremendous Didier Drogba. Well, I think they'll be good just enough for the elephants to advance for so the first time. All I'm right. Talking. Yeah, I know. How about that? Um,
1: and I guess the next time we're on this show, we'll be talking about that USA-Germany. Just looking at the crystal ball flood, does the United States have enough to advance into the knockout round?
2: Um, I think that... Uh, so wait, we're talking about U.S.-Germany? Yeah, because that's
1: Thursday. So yeah. next Friday, USA would find out its
2: fate. I think it's going to be very tough for the U.S. to beat Germany, unless you, the Germans will come up and they look dis, like a, they disappointed because the Ghanaians. But I really think without Ecuador, that's going to be a very tough match for the United States to win. I would ha, it would, it pains me as an American, somebody who bleeds red, white, and blue, literally. But I could have to go with the uh, Germany on that that one tragically.
1: It all all depends on that Ghana game because if Ghana were to at least tie Germany or rough them up enough, uh, the USA could be looking to make it uh, sort of a surprise. I think Germany wins 2-0. I don't think the United States can score against Germany, depending on that Portugal game because the U.S. could be playing a little – those two teams come next Thursday. could be the teams that uh, are going through if the United States, by some stretch of the imagination, beats Portugal. That game is on Sunday. Listen to the Fanatic Radio podcast. Tony Sane of the United States Men's National Team 2002 squad joined us. Grace Wilson of the American University field hockey team who the That's AU Eagles you. played. They played at the um, a couple of exhibition games while the field hockey World Cup was going on in the Netherlands. Very cool at the field hockey team, the defending Patriot League champs, went on a little Euro trip. Next week, Gary Williams uh, Part 1. The Hall of Fame series kicks off 4 to 5 Eastern here on uh, Blog Talk Radio. Once again, Mike Gardner, Ben Florence. Catch the episodes on iTunes or b 360. Until next time, so long, everyone.